Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and this cool weather, the reminder of the seasons, and Father, of your sovereignty over all creation and all things. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it is clear and it directs us to the truth that we are to believe concerning ourselves, concerning you and concerning salvation. Pray, Lord, that you would, by the power of your spirit, make difficult things seem clear, that you would guide us in your truth. And, Father, that we would, uh, along with the saints that have gone before us and those that will follow, uh, claim in Christ alone our salvation is found. He alone uh, is the one that we look to, and He is uh, the founder, perfecter, finisher of our faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Okay, so we are on uh, Solus Christus. Uh, Christ alone. Um, Just as a reminder of where we have been, because often in the end of my notes I say it makes logical sense. Uh, These five points, these five solas, they're to to be taken together. Uh, Scotty reminded me it is the five points of Christological salvation. How do you say that, Scott? Soteriology. See, he looks over his glasses like that. That's, that's, uh, that's that condescending salesman. Uh, I don't know about you folks, but uh, I think you'd be an idiot to pass this up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Five points of soteriology. So think about what we've gone through. We started with sola scriptura, scripture alone. Now, uh, internally, scripture tells itself, tells us to believe it, to trust it. Uh, it all lines up. It never contradicts itself. Externally, you'll find me as a pastor, oftentimes I try to slide in, either through a sermon or through a lecture, uh, the reason we can trust Scripture with external witnesses. External witnesses being uh, those extra-biblical, whether it's Jerome, whether it's common historians, whether it's just regular history that tells us the Scripture is reliable. Scripture alone. Then what do we learn from Scripture? Well, Scripture starts with total depravity that mankind is depraved and in need of salvation. Uh, It's a great start because it answers the question that everybody asks, what is wrong? (laughs) Why is it so hard to get along? Why do we constantly have fighting, bickering, wars? Um, Sola fide, faith alone. Scripture will tell us if we are depraved, what are we to trust in? That faith alone is how we are saved. How how do we know uh, who will be saved? The unconditional election of God. Now, I want just briefly to say that that this falls into place because if mankind is totally depraved, if we are unable to save ourselves, if we are unable to be given the directions and follow the directions, if we're unable to keep God's law, then there would be no hope for us. There'd be no hope. And so the beauty of unconditional election, it comes in and bringing God glory and bringing us hope. Our hope is that God will call to himself a people for himself. That God who is rich in mercy because of the great love that he has for us before we were born, it says in Ephesians, chose a people to be his own possession. Um, Sola gratia, grace alone. God elects, but it's not because we did things, not because we deserve it, not because we've tried, but because he is gracious. And then last week, Scotty uh, taught us on limited atonement. Limited atonement is, is basically saying that what Christ did is limited for his people. Christ's work was for us, for those who believe in faith. His work was sufficient, uh, 
It had merit and it is complete and it did everything it was supposed to do. But it wasn't for everyone in the world. It was for his own people. And so that leads us into this morning's uh, Christ alone. So under solus Christus defined, we've been working out this long definition, saved by grace alone, sola gratia, through faith alone, sola fide, in Christ alone, sola Christus. So this morning we're going to talk about what it means to have our faith in Christ alone, by himself only. I printed some scriptural proof in there, John three thirty six. <clears throat> Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is making very exclusive, clear statements. I am the way, not I am a way, not I am pointing to the way, not I am showing you the way, not I'm an example of the way. I am the way. All throughout John, we read that. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am it. Uh, Don't look for another savior. It's a common question I'll ask Jewish people. What else were you looking for? What else could your Savior do? Um, Are you still waiting for this Messiah to come? In Acts 4, Peter is preaching, and he says uh, very bluntly, Salvation is in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, Paul, speaking to the Corinthian church, a church that was full of divisions, points at the absolute exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Those, those believers had divided up. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Jesus. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He writes to the church in Colossae, uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. Paul writing about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Uh, Covenant College, the PCA College, has that phrase on as you drive up the top of Lookout Mountain, this beautiful facility. There it is, that in all things he might be preeminent. What a beautiful thought for a college education in all areas of life, whether it's medical, um, whether it's uh, mathematics, science, engineering, that in all of these things he might have preeminence. Verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, not some things, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So um, there is nothing uh, profoundly difficult to understand in uh, Christ alone, but it is very offensive to the rest of the world. 
It's very offensive. It is Christianity's putting its flag at the top of the mountain and saying, Christ is it. Jesus is it. He is the Son. He is preeminent of all things. He is the founder of all things. He's the creator of all things. Uh, he is the ruler, the sustainer of all things. He alone deserves our worship, praise, our faith, our trust, our assurance. Um, salvation is found in no one else. You're not going to do it. You can't do it. You can't climb this mountain on your own. You cannot attain uh, Christ alone. So um, it's offensive, but it's quite simple. Um, our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is not in how good a week we had, what we know, what we've done, whether we've been baptized, um, whether we've taken communion. Our faith is in Christ alone. What has He accomplished? It's very purposeful that you leave, when we do worship, you leave having nourished yourself on the bread and the wine, that you leave saying, I am resting this day and every day on what Christ has accomplished. One more uh, scriptural reference uh, in Colossians 3. He's pointing to, again, this finished work says, If then you've been raised with Christ... Um, so our faith unites us to him. So um, faith alone in Christ alone unites us. And so Paul speaks there of Christ being resurrected as if we are resurrected with him. In verse, in verse 1 of chapter 3, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. This is the portion of his letters, and you'll find this in all of Paul's letters, that he starts with all these um, uh, statements of truth, indicative statements. Christ is in you, Christ has done this, Christ is this. And then he goes to imperatives. So um, he always he gives you this foundation of who you are before he says, do this. You are, therefore do this. You are, you do belong to me, therefore you're empowered to do this. And that's chapter 3. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, Colossians 3, 3 and 4 is the uh, memorial service message for my dad, who has not yet passed. Um, but he has told me, this is it. You know, this, is, this is the passage I want you to preach on. This is what I want you to speak on. This is what I find great hope, my son. Not in, I planted this church. Not in, I was a faithful father. Not in, uh, no, uh, my life is hidden with Christ in God. And then verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Uh, any questions on any of those texts thus far? <clears throat> okay, uh, point three are some current opposing views. And I don't know if I wrote this in your notes or not, but I said, just don't call them evangelical. I said of Christian. It should be or Christian. Um, these are not Christian views. They're sub-Christian views. Uh, let's try to make God more fair. So this idea uh, that it bothers people, that these doctrines bother people, that they don't like it. Uh, most people don't see how extremely arrogant that is to say, I am going to judge God. He is not doing this right. This is not fair. We all deserve this. Um, 
so there's, there's these current opposing views, and I think one of, the, one of the guiding principles is let's try to make God more fair, but really what they're doing is let's try to make ourselves more important. Let's try to put more of the work of salvation on ourselves. Because I know good people that are trying to earn their salvation. Let's put more of it on ourselves. And as a result, what happens, the more you believe it, the more that you feel, I have a say in my salvation, I've earned my salvation, I've secured my salvation, uh, the more arrogant and proud and self-righteous, and the more we put away the grace of God. Um, and so these opposing views, the other one, what about those who haven't heard? So in a sense, they treat salvation as something to be lost, not what Jesus has won. So there's this view, a human being comes into the world and they all deserve this chance to be saved. They all deserve this second chance, this third chance, that there's something deserving in our nature. The problem is that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches we are born as children of wrath. We are born as enemies of God. And um, these other points that we've gone through, uh, God in His mercy is rescuing enemies. We have to see it that way. Not a human being comes in as this blank slate that deserves every chance um, to choose God. So these opposing views then, I've, I've got them in four different ways. There's a Christ plus which is probably one of the most prolific views that we run in our culture today, that salvation is Christ plus. Jesus does this, but we have to do that. Christ plus my good works. Christ plus my efforts. That's why it's important that last week we had limited atonement. Christ, uh, Christ's atonement was sufficient, and it was for his people. He didn't just set a path that we would walk, that we would start earning our way. Um, it is uh, Christ only. So Christ plus good works, Christ plus baptism. You might run into that. People like, um, I'm saved because I was baptized. And um, they'll, they'll point to that. I, I, was, I was baptized as a child, therefore I'm good. I, I, I got my name put on that little list. I've got a plaque at home. Uh, they wrote it in my grandma's Bible and signed it, so I'm good to go. Um, Christ plus sign gifts. I've heard that before. You're not sure you're saved unless you can speak in tongues. You're not sure you, you're saved you know, unless you can uh, have these miracles performed for you. Um, unless you can understand how to speak in tongues. So gifts of the Spirit, I've heard that uh, that's, that's what saves you. Or it's a sign of your savement, being saved. <laughs> And um, I think I was going to put this question at the very beginning. Um, but if someone was to ask you, so think about this, and maybe we'll talk about it when we come back in January. If someone was to say, hey, um, what is the minimum requirement to get to heaven? I thought about that as a teenager for sure because I kept thinking about all the things I don't get to do and get to have and like how can I be sure and what is the least <laughs> what is the least amount that is necessary for me to get into heaven um, so these opposing views any any Christ plus view is undercutting the uh, in Christ alone um, any questions about that thus far? 
another opposing view is uh, a rudimentary faith in what can be known is sufficient. So God is going to look at people, here's how I've heard it, God is going to look at people at the end of time and say, well, how much did you know? Well, okay, you're on this island and you know, you got, you got poor theology, you got no theology, or everybody around you worshiped condors. Um, how, much, how much could you know? How much can you be, in a sense, responsible for? And um, so prominent writers will write things like this, that God is not going to hold people accountable for something they didn't know, um, which is, again, it's weird. It's not logical. It is us, again, saying we don't like your ethics, God. It doesn't seem that you're fair to us, God. But let me tell you, uh, if you don't know what the speed limit is and you're driving 90, you can't tell the officer, I didn't see the sign, I don't know what it is, I didn't know murder was illegal, I didn't know, oh God, that worshiping the stars, the moon, and your creation, it's just ignorance of the law is not an excuse. But that, that's a common one. In, in with that is those who haven't heard, uh, maybe the other most common one is what we would call universalism. Scotty talked a bit about that last week but the universalism is the person who just has a hard time seeing uh, God's anger as righteous as clean as holy as pure and as beautiful um, we we all do and one of the reasons we all do is because we are all tainted and sinful and so it, it's one of the sweet things that our God doesn't show Mark Kuyper how much and how horrible my sin is he doesn't show it to me in my fullest extent. He doesn't show it to me. We look at the cross, and when Paul says, I wanted to preach Christ and Him crucified, because he always wanted to point people to the cross. And this is what your sins deserve. This is what your Lord has done on your behalf. Um, but a universalism pretty much says, we don't know how it's all going to end, but God's grace is just so wonderful that eventually He's going to be this big Santa Claus, and no, one ever, no one's going to suffer. He's going to just kind of work it all out. Again, it's our way of saying, if I was God, I would do it this way. Or our way of saying, people aren't that bad. Human beings aren't that bad. They don't really deserve that. Um, and so I put some scriptures that really uh, address that. John six thirty seven, All that the Father gives me, Jesus is saying me, uh, will come to me. <clears throat> Now, again, all of these points come together, right? The Father gives me, the God, Father predestined, the Father effectually called in the Spirit. They have come to me in conversion, repentance and faith, but it's because the Father gives them to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There is no one on, on the planet who has ever been born or ever will be born that will be turned aside when they come to Jesus. There's no one that is seeking him that will be turned aside. And, and all of a sudden, you know, the book comes up. Oh, I know you really wanted to be saved. I know you really wanted to repent, but your name wasn't in here. So sorry, uh, that doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. John 6, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Romans 3, none is righteous, no one understands, no one seeks God. They've turned aside. No one does good, not even one. <coughs> um, 
so I, I want to put some uh, of the logical objections to those other views. The first is this logical disconnect in order. Um, if, for instance, um, human beings could save themselves, if, for instance, salvation was found in another name, if God was fine with being called Allah or Buddha or Confucius or uh, a great force, um, if, if that were true in this sense, then the cross is needless. So Paul writes in uh, Galatians uh, 2.21, I did not set aside, let me find that text, I didn't write it down. Galatians 2.21 I've been crucified with Christ, or 2.20 It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Okay, so that's not just salvation. That is sola fide, solus Christus. I live by faith. I live by faith, faith alone in the Son of God, Christ alone, who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What is he saying? Can you imagine the Father saying to the Son, "Uh, these people can save themselves. We're going to send Confucius. We're going to send Buddha. Uh, We're going to we're, gonna, we're just going to provide this other way. We need another way. There's just not enough ways of salvation. And so, Jesus, why don't you go face uh, my wrath at the cross? Um, so the other logical objections is it's disconnected from the rest of the Scripture, the rest of the plan. Uh, the other logical objection I put in there was suppressing the truth. So I put it this way. If... Um, if the only sin that a person could commit is rejecting what is known, all right, think about this. And this is, again, this is what is taught in some of these opposing views. The only sin that is unforgivable is rejecting the gospel as it is presented. That's the only sin that's unforgivable. Uh, and some say even that's not, even that's, that's going to be forgivable, that in the end God will forgive that as well. Um, but, but, if that's true, then the Great Commission is the worst thing. Right? If the only sin a person can commit is rejecting a presentation of the gospel, then the worst thing we can do is present the gospel. Because every time we present the gospel, there is a possibility that that person will reject the gospel. So, logically, if they're better not knowing it, then we ought to just shut up, right? A parent shouldn't tell their child because maybe the child's going to reject it. And again, that's the only sin uh, that, that won't be forgiven. Does that make sense to you? Am I, am I making that point? Where all through Scripture, they're sent, they're beaten, 
They're crucified, they're killed, they're thrown in prison. Why? Because unless someone hears the gospel and repents and turns to Christ, they're lost. And so every apostle, every missionary before them says, I've been entrusted with this message and it is a message of life. Yes, there will be those who hear and reject and as a result, they will have greater, probably greater condemnation. Those who turn others away will have greater condemnation. We read about that in the New Testament. But for me, the loving thing to do as an ambassador for Christ is to present the gospel. Um, in, in biblical history, in Genesis and Romans, you have this promise of a Christ in Genesis, a promise of a Christ. We are waiting for the Christ. He will come, and when he comes, all of these promises that he is the one that will take away the sins of the world. I'm not going to read Romans 1.18. That's just uh, the apostle talking about no one, is, no, one is, no one is righteous. No one can be saved on their own. No one has an excuse. So um, that, that text, and we'll do Romans after we do uh, 1 Timothy. So sometime 2022, we'll, we'll study the whole book of Romans together. But in Romans 1.18 to 23, the apostle basically lays out all other systems and comes to that conclusion uh, the religious, the irreligious, the ignorant, and the Jew, no one has an excuse before God. Um, and then let me close with this Hebrews 9, verse 27. Just as it is appointed, uh, we'll go to verse 26. We'll go to verse 24. For Christ is entered not into holy places made with hands, not into the temple, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Our faith is in Him. He is appearing to God on our behalf. Um, verse 25. Nor is it to offer Himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. It was sufficient once for all, is what he's saying. When it when a Christian sins or continues to sin, Christ doesn't go back to the cross and re-suffer. It was sufficient. Verse 26, For then he'd had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27, And just as it is appointed for a man once to die once, and after that comes judgment. Salvation is found in no other name but Christ alone. What do we do with this? Well, um, we tell people about Christ. <laughs> we preach Him crucified. We do everything we can. Uh, I, I still remember, there's several words from some of my professors that, that ring true. Uh, I remember Brian Chapel, senior preaching, says, Brothers, when you leave, do everything in your power to make much of Christ. Your job is this. Love Him as much as you can and do everything you can in your preaching and your teaching for people to think more and more of Christ. In John 17, I have in the conclusion Jesus' high priestly prayer. Um, before his crucifixion with his disciples, he speaks these words. He lifted his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, to whom you have 
sent. Salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of Christ, and we pray that we would be students of it, that it would give us great comfort, assurance, and peace. We pray, Father, that all enemies of the cross, all enemies of the gospel, no matter how at times people seem to to try and make you look sweeter, or make you look gentler, or make you look kinder, that they all undercut the reality of your gentleness, your kindness, your grace, and your mercy. For your grace is shown to us in the depth of our sins when we cry out, Save me. Save me again. Resave me. Continue to save me. Renew in me my heart, O Lord. And so we pray, Father, that our gospel would be clear, that Christ would be raised high, and that we would honor him and you in all of our ministries and our conversations, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.